Before we start, I want to send us back to 1772. We are in Cromford, a tiny village tucked away in the Derbyshire Dales of England. And there's something different in the air. A group have gathered at the bank of the village's old brook. They're watching workers install a sluice. On the opposite bank, the newly built cotton mill is using the stream's water to power an entirely new method of work. Richard Arkwright's water frame, which used water to power production, could spin cotton far faster than human hands. The invention marked a revolutionary age of industry. This was almost three centuries ago. Two more industrial revolutions have since disrupted ways of work, and we're now ripping along in Industry 4.0, which is about automating traditional manufacturing and industry, connecting devices to the internet, democratising tasks like app development and more. In this fourth industrial revolution, we are working more closely with technology than ever before. And with machines becoming smarter, we can hand over some of the most repetitive work to them so that we can focus on doing what we do best, being human. Let's rock. But the coronavirus pandemic has sent the manufacturing industry reeling. Here's your money briefing. I'm J.R. Whalen at The Wall Street Journal in New York. After a sluggish 2019, things were looking up for factories around the world. But the progress made since the start of the new year is in danger of being wiped away by the global response to the coronavirus outbreak. What can we do about this? Can we ever go back to the way we were? Today, manufacturers not only have to find ways to speed up production lines and reduce product faults with the help of technology, they must also learn to use tech to increase safety measures in the wake of the pandemic that has leveled so many businesses. Welcome to another episode of Where Today Meets Tomorrow, a Siemens podcast about all the interconnected ways that digital tech can transform the world. I'm your host, Ginny Saraswati. And we've got a double treat for you today. Two guests in one episode with a combined experience in manufacturing that totals 40 years. We'll discuss how the industry is finding its way to a new normal as businesses start to reopen. Before we get into it with our guests, I want to share some words of wisdom from Siemens Deputy CEO, Roland Bush, on the uptake of digitalization, specifically in the pharmaceutical industry. What follows is a clip from Roland Unplugged, an internal podcast at Siemens. Special thanks to Roland's comms team, including Chris Ribeiro, for giving us permission to broadcast this on Where Today Meets Tomorrow. So pharmaceutical industry is another, another industry which has a lot of challenges. And if you understand a little bit how pharmaceutical industry works, they have extremely high quality requirements. Um, you have to trace and track every kind, every step of the process. So in case something is going wrong, you know exactly which batch ends at which, which uh, distributor, so we can call it back. And of course, it's, it's, since it's about things you, you give to your body, you have to, have to have the highest level of quality. 
Currently, this is done with uh, a lot of paperwork. So it's, it's tons and tons of paper for each step in order to ensure this integrity. In the future, you can do that real time without paper and having an even better quality check a level of quality so that you can run different trucks faster through the process. You can make it in smaller lots, smaller lot sizes, so you are more flexible. This at the same time you can cut the cost of your quality checks by 50%. So therefore this is a huge improvement which would be of benefit talking about Corona, think about a drug now which should be manufactured on scale very, very fast. Um, this is exactly where technology can step in and make the scaling much, much, much faster, still having the extremely high level of quality. We need quality assurance, tracking and tracing, compliance, most of all, the ability to scale and move quickly while keeping nimble enough to address external shocks, such as a global health crisis. Such requirements apply across industries. Let's get into that now with this episode's guests. How do you bring people back in and make those people feel comfortable coming back into the plant and in doing the job that they did standing less than six feet away from coworkers previously. And that is, that's probably one of the biggest problems uh, because in our case, we have uh, manufacturing cells set up where you have uh, multiple people working in a single cell uh, it's hard to respect social distancing. And then once you get that problem worked out, rearranging your lines, rearranging how you do the work, how you do the assembly, how you do the machining, uh, then how do you teach people that they, they can't go into the lunchroom? for example, and sit at the same table with their coworkers like they did before. Uh, those are some of the, some of the huge uh, uh, issues that need to be addressed. You've just heard from Brian Snigocki. He's responsible for running a global quality system throughout Dana Incorporated, a major supplier of axles and other equipment with an annual revenue of $8.6 billion. Put simply, Brian finds ways to make other people's jobs easier. I would agree. I'm optimistic that things are going to improve, but before they get better, I think there we're, we're going to see an oscillation of uh, success and failure with uh, addressing the pandemic. This is Tom Tengen. Tom started his career in the aerospace industry as a design engineer before landing a role in digital enterprise at Siemens. I was keen to talk to Brian and Tom about how digitalization could serve the manufacturing industry in times of crisis. They offered two solutions to the problem, RTLS, real-time locating systems, and RFID, radio frequency identification. Tom says that RTLS can help keep us safe with its rigorous monitoring of both man and machine. As a result of COVID, its application for working with humans and touch labor has uh, spiked dramatically. We use RTLS as a part of um, the next normal solution to be able to allow customers that have actually simulated thinking that they're going to provide a safe environment with a certain amount of throughput in their factory while they're dealing with the pandemic, but actually then putting those tags on 
the people and the touch labor, seeing how they move within the plant and automatically giving them visibility into where social violation, uh, social distancing violations might be taking place, the exact location of the infraction, time stamping when it took place, and the identification of the tags that were involved. It, it's, it's then up to the customer to map the UIDs of the tags to the people for HR reasons, but then they can track down exactly who was involved in the infraction, who violated social distancing, and then building a contact tracing uh, uh, historian um, database so that you then know if somebody comes down with COVID, who they then contacted within six feet and so on and so on, you have a complete contact tracing and geolocation within the plant of where all those infractions took place. And the interesting thing um, that another additional application that it has is to store metadata related to training. So for instance, if you have a welder that is not current on his training and he happens to go to a station and we physically track that he's at a station where a certain type of welding is taking place, but his certification is no longer valid for that particular function, it can alarm and basically deny him the ability to operate the machinery or at least alarm and notify the plant manager or the cell manager or equipment engineers or whoever's required so that a change can be made. He can can either be recertified or basically taken off the ability to work in that line. Um, it's that type of metadata that seamlessly, either actively or proactively, allows you to keep situationally aware of who's doing what in your plan and are they qualified to do it. Radio frequency identification lets us track people. Brian is looking into how Dana can integrate RFID in manufacturing plants so that people can get the help that they need, and quickly. Using those RFID tags along with uh, InfoSight, uh, we could bring up the, uh, the, the visualization of that plant floor and tell where people are, if, if people are getting too close to each other, if uh, a certain uh, emergency response type systems have been moved and, and where they are within the facility. And that, that's an adaptation of something that we've had for years, telling us where physical inventory is in the plant. But rather than just using it for physical inventory, now you're using it to track uh, people, to track uh, potential response teams. Uh, if you have somebody who's a, uh, let's say they're, uh, uh, we have people that go through a, uh, a first aid training, uh, so they're uh, capable of uh, uh, doing CPR, for example. Let, let's say you wanted to quickly bring up a map and you wanted to find a person who's the closest to, to your current situation, you have an emergency situation. Who's the closest person to me that's capable of doing CPR? Those are the kind of uh, taking current technology and adapting it in the future. Naturally, these kind of changes require uptake throughout the plant. Workers need to know what is expected of them, especially in an industry where they're literally working shoulder to shoulder. You can program information into a machine, but humans need clear, consistent direction to ensure that these new ways of working become habit. You can make all of the predictions or set all the rules that you want about how employees are going to function, how they're going to behave uh, and act 
uh, whether they wear PPE or whether they don't. Uh, but whether they do it or not is something that's hard to, to know, right? Whether they're within six feet, you can have a rule of staying six feet apart, but whether they do it or not is something that, um, that, that you, it's really difficult to determine. Um, we, we think that the, the key combination is not only being able to try and set rules and predict what's going to happen by virtually simulating um, that the employees are safe before they go back to work, but also then measuring and actually validating that it's occurring, that they're not violating with some means to be able to have a trigger that says uh, they are staying indeed six feet apart. Brian recommends a solution to help companies adapt. Compliant Pro. This risk management software can be used across all phases of the manufacturing process. Most importantly, businesses can use Compliant Pro to establish and maintain health and safety measures. Well, with Compliant Pro, there's a way of actually sending it out to the to the people and having them read it and do uh, through it like a training and qualification evaluation. Uh, they have to confirm that they've read it. And if you want to be really stringent about it, you can have their supervisor agree that they have read it. And it's not only the head of the department, but it's also everybody else uh, within that facility that you require to read it. Now, you can take the, the output from that, saying that all 200 or 300 people in the facility have read, uh, agree that they have read and understand that procedure. That's effective way of, of how we manage getting that information out globally. No one is in any doubt that the pandemic has radically changed our working lives. But Brian and Tom were both positive about the future. They felt that the aftershock has led us to scrutinise the way that we work. I think we're going to move past uh, COVID, uh, implement additional safety uh, procedures, and uh, uh, really come out of this uh, with a better understanding of how we can operate our companies more efficiently uh, and, and, more, and, and more safely. Our, our company's uh, motto uh, right now in all of our plans is safety first, quality focused. I would agree. I'm optimistic that things are going to improve, but before they get better, I think there we're, we're going to see an oscillation of uh, success and failure with uh, addressing the pandemic. I think that we're going to see a number of companies embrace uh, capabilities and technology uh, offerings to be able to uh, manage social distancing, to be able to uh, measure productivity as it relates to the workforce that they're able to send back safely and, and be able to, to provide themselves with the digital evidence and the, um, uh, the sustenance to be able to overcome the challenges of what's ahead relative to the pandemic. To show us what he means by sustenance, Brian took us all on a virtual tour of a facility using a solution called Intersight, which creates cloud-based digital twins of factory floors. Of course, he checked first that we were all kitted out in our virtual PPE. With Infosight, uh, we can actually virtually walk through any facility uh, out of our, we have 150 facilities globally. And from my desktop, I can, I can virtually walk through, see how that plant's laid out, uh, see the machines, uh, all the capabilities, things like that within that facility. Uh, 
that's something that we couldn't do before. In the past, we would have to physically travel to that facility. And if I wanted to, if somebody said, look, I, I think we have an unsafe condition here. I think uh, these machines are too close together um, or uh, they need to be moved so the operator can operate more uh, more safely. And, and, and if somebody across the globe is responsible for making that decision, uh, using the InfoSite, we're now able to virtually go in uh, to these facilities. Perhaps the most useful development of all for plants is one that is used long before we begin to make anything, in the earliest stages of the manufacturing process. Testing is vital to Industry 4.0. The fact that we can digitally test what works before we've built it makes it so incredibly valuable. And the added benefit post-COVID-19 is that we can do all of this remotely. In the past, I think you've all seen where they've taken a car and they've physically run it into a wall to test crash set, test safety. And and now we do that with simulation, uh, all your major OEs. And it, it's the same it's the same thing on a on a plant floor. You you don't just design a plant floor and move machines in it and then move them around to come up with the most effective layout. That, that, that's just it's just not gonna happen anymore. That that's too costly. So the plant floor simulation, uh, doing that, very important. Uh, making sure your people are safe and, 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 and efficiently uh, able to operate. Digital simulations allow companies to test a model in a virtual environment before they actually build it. So let's say we wanted to create an electric car. We could create the same design digitally and test how our new model might drive on a virtual road. And if we came across problems, we could iterate and try again, all before building the actual car. This process of planning and designing products via their digital twin is central to Industry 4.0. Ken Aman introduced us to the concept in our previous episodes. Tom reinforced its critical importance in the production process. You need what we call, and we refer to it, Siemens, as, uh, you know, the digital twin and the digital thread. Um, it's a very popular uh, name for digitalization, uh, not only at Siemens, but we embody that by actually tying the CAD system into the product data management system all the way through manufacturing execution. Therefore, if somebody is assembling a component and that has changed uh, down the line in engineering, those changes are pushed through the system. And the next time that um, assembler or the, the manufacturing um, engineer on the floor is going to assemble that, they have the up-to-date information because it's uh, electronically de delivered and they assemble it right the first time. Cotton mills, railroad networks, web-based services, automation, each of the four industrial revolutions has asked us to respond rapidly to change. And what about global shocks like coronavirus? Will they obstruct or assist the steady march of digitalization in Industry 4.0? Let's go back to Roland Bush, who we met at the start of this podcast, for an answer. You think that companies will be still willing to invest in IoT or digitalization even now during difficult times? The prediction is that it will be even accelerated. If you think about what's currently happen, happening, number one is everybody is working from home, so we have to digitalize our workplaces. Number two is 
everybody thinks about how can I change my supply chain. Sometimes we are locked into one or two suppliers, maybe sometimes from one country and sometimes even from one province in China. So you need to connect different suppliers. Um, you have to include different parts into your product development. This is done best if you have a, a fully digital twin of your product and your systems. So therefore, there are a lot of a lot of. Uh, Technology requirements would come up if you think about the world post-corona. So our belief is that the corona crisis will boost the demand for digital offerings. So, more demand for digital. And the fourth industrial revolution is racing towards digital connectivity. Companies like Siemens are developing platforms that can run digital ecosystems, sharing information across companies and disciplines and between human and machine. Industry 4.0 has become closer than any previous revolutions in fusing the spheres of humans and technology. And it's important to remember that these developments are taking place everywhere, often without us knowing that they are there. Hundreds of years ago, people could see and hear and smell change all around them. They couldn't ignore the enormous cogs grinding away or the rattle and chug of factory noises. But in 2020, with some of the most elaborate technological developments like the digital twin, we can barely sense the revolution happening. Given these moments, I wanted to ask Brian and Tom how they would advise technologists who were just starting out in the field and wanted to plot their career path. Make your way onto the onto a shop floor uh, if you're just starting with a, with a company and understand uh, the people on the shop floor, what their job is, what do they do, what value do they add, uh, understand what what difficulties uh, they have. And, and that's one of the things that, that I really enjoy is, is, is actually getting in and, and I, I shake my head sometimes. I said, why are you guys doing it like that? And they said, well, because our manager said we always did it like that, right? <laughs> and I said, you know, we could, we could actually have some software either written or purchased that would make this much more easier. And, and so I, I, when, I, when I look at somebody and they say, you know, I, I really want to start doing what you do and uh, I, I kind of say to them, how good are you at Sudoku puzzles? Because if you're good at, at, at analyzing a, uh, a problem and coming up with solutions, like, then you're a perfect fit for the job. And, uh, and, and then you can get into understanding how things are built, how things are, are made, and, and how you can actually contribute to making, them, making it, uh, everything better in the future. Tom, what are your thoughts? I think that the industry is on the verge of integrating really cool technologies that the younger workforce is going to embrace. Things like gaming technology is going to become an integral part of the design process where you're going to use... Um, you know, engines from a gaming engine uh, like Unreal or Unity or um, uh, some of these physics-based modeling capabilities to be the front end that these kids grew up on, right? Playing video games in 3D photorealistic environments and have those feed the design world integrated to technologies like uh, CAD technologies such as NX or Team Center that uh, Siemens offers. And those will work hand in hand providing 
a work environment that that the younger generation of of engineers and technologists and uh, thought leaders in digitalization are going to embrace. And Tom's last takeaway? When I asked him how young engineers could set themselves apart from the competition, here's what he had to say. To keep your mind open, I think that there's a tremendous art of the possible of what these talented young uh, individuals that are about to come out of college or go into college could do. And I think they don't, they should not constrain themselves to try to fit themselves into the mold of what companies are doing today, but show and try to demonstrate and articulate what they can deliver in the future with the technology experience that they have using social media and the combination of gaming and the combination of uh, the math classes and physics classes and chemistry that they've already taken. That combination is extremely powerful. And if uh, articulated properly, I think they can really prove themselves to be valuable and very marketable in the future. Thank you so much for listening to the Where Today Meets Tomorrow podcast. I'm Ginny Sarasvati. Next time, join me with Ron Bodkin and Mosin Rezaat as we explore artificial intelligence. <laughs>